you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. As uh, Dave said, my name is Zach, and um, it's my honour and privilege to serve as a student minister here at City on Hill, Brisbane, and my privilege to preach the word this morning. Um, I hope you've been enjoying our time in the One Peter series. I know I have. I've been finding it challenging. I've been finding it encouraging. Peter seems to have this gift of... um, giving us incredible hope and assurance in the good news of Jesus, whilst also smacking us across the back of the head with this is what it looks like to live as a Christian, Uh, and he does it very well and very pastorally, much better than I'm going to do this morning. So keep that in mind. Um, Before we dive into our text, let me uh, give us a bird-eye view of what's been going on. If you've missed the last couple of weeks, especially our time in chapter two, uh, then let me uh, just sort of give you a brief overview. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Dave started off this section by uh, talking to us about our identity and our purpose. Chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Obviously talking about Jesus as the one that we proclaim the excellencies of. Uh, And then last week, Mike helped us to see that as these people are with this purpose, the general context of how we live that out in society is to honour everyone, love the brotherhood, uh, fear God and honour the emperor and all the implications that come from that, how we live under the authorities that God has established in our state, um, in our country, uh, maybe even uh, closer to home or closer to our workplaces. And then this week, Peter zooms in 
uh, more so on the household, more so on how Christian servants and slaves are to be Christians in their environment, so in their households. Or for you and I today, maybe it's easier to understand it as in our workplaces. Um, And so we're going to look at this this morning. Uh, I have four main points, but ultimately, there's one really big point that comes right throughout this text, and it's the question, who do you trust? Before we go any further, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have spoken to us today through your word. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word, that we might understand it, be transformed by it, and be shaped to live lives that bring glory to you. Amen. Well, it was the year of our Lord, 2005, when my family and I, uh, before I was married, so me with my parents and my brothers, moved from Melbourne up to um, the little inner New South Wales town of Dubbo, um, and we moved there. My dad got a job at a church. Uh, it was a stark contrast from Melbourne to Dubbo of like 44,000 people, and I just finished high school. I needed a job, and the first job I was able to get, thanks to my uncle, was working for this old farmer who lived just out of town. Um, I had zero farming experience, I had zero understanding of what was going on, and I was thrust straight into the fire of um, hardcore uh, outback farming life with the oldest, grumpiest farmer you've probably never met in your life. This guy was hardcore, like he was tough. He was 70-something years old. He'd survived two forms of cancer. Uh, He just worked day in, day out. He would start early in the morning at like 4 a.m. He would go to bed at 11 p.m. and he'd still have more energy and life and capacity than my young body would with all the sleep in the world and zero responsibility. And this guy would just have it over me every single day. My one job, effectively, on this farm was to uh, go in this little dodgy tractor and spray this Bathurst burr, which uh, is like a thistle that grows all over the place down there. And um, I sprayed it with like a, a weed spray and it had a purple dye in it so I could see where I sprayed. And I would go and do that job, enjoying being on the land, uh, driving this fun little tractor thing around. And then I'd get to the end of the day, I'd look upon the field that I had just sprayed with uh, appreciation and pride. Look how well I've done. There is so much purple out there. I've covered everything. And then he would come along within 0.3 of a second, would point out every single Bathurst bird that I missed and told me that if I didn't go back and do it, I'm not going home until it's done. And so that made me feel like absolute dirt, let alone when we would sit down at lunchtime, he'd at least invite me into his house, but then he would just spend that next hour berating me about being a young punk with no idea what I'm doing in life, I've got no capacity to be strong, the fact that he's got it over me in every single other way in life and would just tear me down. It was a great environment to work in. Now, I don't know if there's many of you here this morning that can relate. Maybe you don't have a a crumpy old farmer for a boss, um, but maybe you do have a a boss or an employer or uh, the situation that you're involved in at home. You're able to relate in some way to the person who is an authority over you has this, uh, your intention with them relationally. They don't seem to really care about you as a person. Maybe you feel like they just see you as a commodity, uh, that you're 
just there to do your job, do it how they want them to do it, um, and then that is it. Maybe you're in an environment where uh, you're actually belittled. Maybe you're consistently overlooked for promotion, whatever it might be. I think at some uh, point in our lives, in some way or another, we can all relate to that sort of leader or ruler in our life that we just have this incredible tension and hardship being under. And it's helpful to have this example for us today to get a bit of an insight as to who Peter's talking about. Um, so it's a little bit confusing and I'm glad I found this in a commentary because it makes it so much clearer than I'm ever going to be able to. So Edmund Clowney, he says this about the, the servants he's addressing and the masters he's addressing. He says, Peter addresses oiketai, uh, a Greek word, those servants and retainers who would be under the rule and control of an often despotic head of the household. Nevertheless, he seems to have slaves mainly in view. Perhaps he wants to reserve the usual Greek word for slaves, douloi, for our service to the Lord, which uh, we see referenced in chapter 2, verse 16. So recognising that he's using these terms... He says to these servants, and if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to that text. Keep uh, your thumb or a bookmark in that. We're going to be um, coming back to it quite a lot. He says in verse 18 through to 20, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows, while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. My first point this morning is be subject to masters mindful of God. This is a hard word to hear, isn't it? I'm sure there's many of us who are uh, in great relationships with our employers and our bosses. I'm, I'm not suggesting for a moment that we're all in these really hardcore, tyrannical type environments, but I think we can all uh, understand or appreciate that if we're not in those situations that many, many people are and we struggle with uh, trying to serve and love our, our bosses or employers. Um, and Peter gives this really, really hard word. And unfortunately, we can't just blame Peter for giving us this word because Peter is just riffing off the words of Jesus, which if you come with me to Luke chapter 6, reading from verse 27, this is the very word of Jesus. He says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, Offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. <clears throat> And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good 
and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Based on these very words of Jesus, Peter is instructing that our Christian lives, our Christian witness, is one marked by serving unjust people, knowing that it is a gracious thing in the sight of God if we suffer it with endurance, mindful of God. And this isn't just an instruction. This isn't just a nice thought that Peter's had. This isn't just an idea he's had after um, remembering these words of Jesus. But this is actually, uh, Peter says, our calling. Verse 21, for to this you have been called. That's a wild concept. A wild concept that we have been called to live a life of serving those that we don't necessarily agree with, serving those who might look down upon us, serving those who may, may make our, our working life difficult. We're being called to serve these people, mindful of God. Peter is further defining his words from above, uh, chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, he says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And this thought is incredibly foreign to us, isn't it? The idea that um, even if I'm in a relationship where I'm uh, being looked down upon, if my work environment is being made really hard, if, if I'm treated like I'm not very important, if I'm overlooked for promotions or I'm overlooked for important tasks, if I'm treated like I'm at the bottom of the barrel of this workplace or my household, and yet here we're being asked to uh, serve these people mindful of God. If you're anything like me, that's not your response. Your response is more often the time that we want to retaliate against that. We want to defend ourselves. We want to find the loophole in the text and exploit that to our benefit. We want to try and find a way where we can get out of this and not have to be in these circumstances of uh, honouring and serving these people who make us possibly feel fairly worthless. I think there are two things we need to consider today. Firstly, our context is a fair bit different to what it was back then. Back then, uh, there were servants and slaves. They did not have the option of just changing jobs, of moving from one place to another. They didn't like that work environment or that boss or that way of doing systems or whatever it might be. Uh, they didn't have those options. They were under that ruler, under that um, employer, under that household uh, ruler, and that was the end of it. Uh, for you and I today, we live in a context of uh, contracts. We live in a, in a context of fair work commissions. Uh, we have many more rights than Christians back in those days had. However, I don't think you and I can write this text off on context today. I think Peter is trying to get to the spirit of something. He's trying to get to the heart of something underneath all of our context changes. Now, no doubt it can be awkward and difficult 
trying to work for these people or work with these people. Like maybe you're in a context right now where uh, your employers or your boss are trying to ask you to do something that you don't feel comfortable with, maybe because it's bordering on illegal or maybe it is illegal or maybe it's bordering on immoral or unethical and you're trying to figure out how do I exist in this organisation when I have these Christian convictions and yet my boss is asking me to do this, how do I serve them well, serve them mindful of God whilst I'm in this tension and in this battle. One thought is, we're blessed to live in this context of contracts and fair work commissions. We're, li- we're blessed to live in environments where a lot of our workplaces do have accountability systems. And so can I encourage you, if you're in a workplace right now where you are being instructed, uh, maybe publicly or privately, to do something illegal, do something immoral, do something unethical, can I encourage you to take that to the relevant authorities, take that to the right people and work that through with the systems that uh, God and His providence and kindness has blessed us with in our day and context. Do not hear me saying this morning that in order to serve these masters, in order to serve these rulers and these bosses, that we just have to keep on doing what they tell us to do, no matter what it is. We are not in a similar context. However, given that, there is something that Peter wants us to see here. There's something that God wants us to take from here. How are we? If we're in a situation where maybe we're not being asked to do something illegal or unethical or immoral, but maybe we're being asked to do something that we don't agree with, or maybe it's a, a process that we're like, that's, that's not the best way. It's not efficient. Or maybe uh, we're in a situation where your boss does belittle you, maybe privately or publicly. Uh, you feel like you're always overlooked for promotion or overlooked for getting that task given to you. Or maybe you're sitting in a meeting and instead of your bosses or your supervisors sort of lifting you up and making you feel encouraged and equipped uh, for this particular role, maybe you feel like they're just clamping down on you, telling you you're going nowhere, not giving you any opportunities. Maybe it's in that space right there where we can hear these words from Peter and understand how do we serve these people who don't seem to really care about us at all. How do we serve them mindful of God? How can we show love? How can we show kindness in the face of being mistreated or being unappreciated? I think there's a word here as well for any employers or business owners. Uh, Maybe you employ a nanny or a cleaner or something like that in your house. I think there's a word for you also here this morning, which is how are you treating those people under your employ? Do you see them as just commodities to be moved around at your will and just to get your tasks done? Or do you see them as people made in the image of God and, yeah, you've got to accomplish your tasks, but I'm going to care for the person first? I don't think that if there's Christian masters or Christian rulers or employers or business owners, uh, that this text is by any means letting you get off uh, with this one lightly. There is a great challenge to you of how are you, uh, how are you treating those under your employment. So point one, be subject to masters, mindful of God. But it begs the question, how do we do this? 
how in an environment where it seems to be harder and harder to be a Christian, where it seems harder and harder to continue to be nice, when really all that's rising up inside of me is I just want to put this person in their place, let them know just how good I am at what I'm doing or how useful I could really be or how stupid their ideas really are or how they're treating me wrongly. How in that environment do we serve these people mindful of God? Point number two, Christ left us an example. Peter tells us that part of what Jesus was doing through his suffering was giving you and I an example. If we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation with the purpose of proclaiming the excellencies of Christ, uh, the one who brought us from darkness into his marvelous light, then how do we do this in a world of injustice, in an environment that seems to be increasingly against us? Peter says that we are to follow the example of Jesus, the example of suffering, being mindful of God. Verse 21 Uh, continues and says, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. And again, Peter, he's not just going off his own uh, memory here or his own thoughts. He's actually quoting scripture again. So he goes back to the Old Testament. If you want to come with me to Isaiah chapter 53, I'm going to read from verse 1 through to 7. It says this, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no formal majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We are like, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Isn't that incredible? I don't know about you, but I get caught off in traffic and that person's going to hear about it. But here is Christ suffering so much more than being cut off in traffic. And yet he did not open his mouth to justify himself or to defend himself or give himself a way out. Here is Jesus, our example, taking the personal attack from his own people, taking the blows from those Roman soldiers, carrying that heavy cross along the road to where he'll be crucified on it, thorns placed upon his head, the mocking and the berating that did not stop until he breathed his final 
breath. It's interesting that Peter quickly puts our attention back onto Jesus, even with the imperative for servants to be subject to their masters, Peter has his readers look to Jesus because he is the example. Jesus is the path that we walk, as it says, so that you might follow in his steps. But how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus go to the cross on our behalf? How did he deal with the berating and the mocking and the torturing? How did he deal with all of that and yet honour God, fear God, love those around him, continue to serve those masters and rulers around him, mindful of God? Because if you're anything like me, as I said, I get cut off at traffic and I'm looking for a way to make sure that person knows how ticked off I am. If you're anything like me, you're dealing with that old grumpy farmer bloke and you feel that he's continuing to put you down and uh, make you feel like you're worthless and not giving you options out. And yet we're being called here to to serve them and honour them when the very thing that's rising up inside of me is, I'm going to show this bloke. Like, I'll quit or I'll set his field on fire or whatever it might be. I'll show this guy exactly how I feel about how he's treating me. I think if, if I had read this text when I was working for that old farmer, I probably would have shut my Bible and said, no, that can't possibly be true. But here we are, looking at the truth of God's word, telling us this really hard, challenging word, that we are to be subject to masters, mindful of God, that we're to look to the example of Jesus as he suffered on our behalf and yet did not open his mouth to defend himself or to get himself out of that situation. And so point three, he did that by entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So open your Bibles again and read verse 22 and 23, where it says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Church, this is how Jesus did it. Not by trusting his own sense of justice, He didn't look to the world to try and get an idea of what the world would say he should do at this time, but he trusted that his heavenly Father, the judge of all the world, the righteous judge of all the world, will judge justly. And so that brings us back to our big point. Who do we trust? Who do we trust will vindicate us when our voice isn't heard at work or at home? Who will see us suffering silently? Who will come on our behalf and one day give us a means of escape? As I said before, maybe you can leave your current work context as one of the blessings that we do have in our day to day. We can be equipped and trained for many different types of roles and we can apply for many different types of jobs and find ourselves working with many different types of people. However, just going from one job to the next is not necessarily going to be the answer 
Because unfortunately, if you haven't figured this out by now, we live in a world of fallen, sinful human beings. And so you're going to leave your current job and go to another job and most likely have another boss or employer that is also uh, not a Christian, uh, also looking to just make their next dollar uh, and try and get ahead in life. And so you can't, cannot guarantee that by moving from one job to another that you're going to find your answer. Trusting God means not trusting in ourselves. It means not trusting society's ever-changing definitions of what justice looks like. It's not trusting my feelings, but it's trusting Him who judges justly. Church, we are to emulate Christ in His trust in God. Now, I didn't do a very good job with this old farmer. I didn't heed the words of Scripture. I didn't spend the rest of my time as when I worked for him, trusting in God that God would judge justly and God would figure this out on my behalf. Instead, I uh, found ways to try and vindicate myself and found ways to try and defend myself against this old guy, letting him know that he didn't know anything about me. He didn't know my story. He didn't know where I was coming from. He didn't know how much I've got to learn in life and what I've got to go on to in life. And it all amounted to nothing. It didn't do anything to help this guy see Jesus. It didn't help this guy to change his behavior. It didn't change anything at all. But it's interesting here that Peter's instructions to us, our suffering, uh, sorry, yeah, our suffering under these masters, being mindful of God, will bring glory to God. It might not happen in the way you want it. It might not happen at the time that we want it to happen. But our living for God, our fearing God and honouring these masters that we work under, that we serve under, will glorify Jesus. It means we've got to be okay with not trusting us, taking the trust away from ourselves and placing our trust only in God. And again, we see this example in Jesus, when in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, not my will be done, but yours. And if anyone had a reason to exact his own justice, it was Jesus, the only perfectly innocent person to ever live who suffered greatly on our behalf, which brings us to point number four, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Come with me again, verses 24 and 25. Peter says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And again, Peter is quoting this from Isaiah 53. If we turn there, let's look at his backup. What he's saying here, verse 10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I'll divide 
him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Church, this is why we can trust that God will judge justly. This is why we can trust that emulating Jesus, following in the footsteps of Jesus, why that is the right path to walk. Because God sent his one and only son to bear the wrath and the penalty of our sins on the cross. Church, we can trust God's judgments. As Psalm 89, 14 uh, clearly states, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. The reason that Jesus had to come and die was because justice, God being just, it was required. Maybe you've thought about this before. Maybe you've heard a lot of people say, uh, couldn't have God just forgotten sin? Couldn't have God just said, yeah, that happened, but I'm just going to push it aside. It no longer happened. Everybody's A-OK from now on. The answer to that is no. If God had done that, he would have no longer been just. He would have no longer been a just judge. Because the penalty, the right penalty for our rebellion and sin against a holy God is our death. And yet God in his kindness and his mercy, knowing that if we were to pay that, we would be dead. We would have no hope, we would have no assurance, it would just be we're dead and that's it. And so God in his kindness sends Jesus, his one and only son, to live perfectly, showing us that there is a way to live God's way. And he died sacrificially upon that cross, taking all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame upon himself and nailing it to a cross, paying the penalty for our sins and our rebellion against God. And then three days later, God powerfully and triumphantly resurrects him from the dead, showing that for all those who would place their trust in Jesus, we too have this great assurance of hope in being resurrected to life eternal with the Father. Jesus paid our penalty that we justly deserved. And it means that we can trust that God will judge justly. He did it then, and His own Son paid our price. And He'll do it in the end when Christ comes again to collect all of us as our shepherd and our overseer, when he comes to round us all up to bring back the farming metaphor, when he comes to bring us all to glory with him. We're going to be able to trust that God will judge justly in that time. Church, this is the grace of God. He calls us to trust in him, the one who judges justly as we suffer for the glory of Christ, as we honour everyone and fear God. Church, let's trust God. Let's trust that He will judge justly, that His righteousness will reign and does reign. Let's trust that He does care for you and I, and He will not forget our sufferings and our trials. Let's pray together today. Our just judge, we praise you 
we acknowledge that we do not judge justly. That we often want our own way, not your way. That we often want to establish our justice. We are challenged by your word today to entrust our lives to you, to serve those we work with and work under with love and kindness, following the example of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the example of Christ, that we can look to him for how we should trust you. And we look to Jesus today, the one who bore our sin, the one who has healed our wounds through his silent suffering on our behalf. We give you glory and thank you for being with us this week as we go into all the world to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com dot au